Thank you to our sponsor, Dallas Market Center, with more than 1.5 million square feet of residential design and lighting showrooms for retailers and designers. Top brands and home furnishings called Dallas home. Dallas Market Center is open daily as the largest and most active design center in the U.S. Visit for your next project or join us for upcoming events like the summer edition of Lightovation, the biggest trade event for residential lighting, running concurrent with Total Home and Gift Market, June 23rd through 29th. Important health and safety measures are in place. For more information, visit DallasMarketCenter.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Lighting the Way, a podcast from Furniture Lighting and Decor. I'm Amy McIntosh, Managing Editor of Furniture Lighting and Decor, and today we will be replaying an episode from February um, where I talked to Seth Bernstein. Um, he's a lighting designer who has worked on projects from television to retail. Uh, before we get to the interview, just a few notes. First, if you're heading to Lightovation in Dallas next week, be sure to step by, stop by the Showroom of the Year Awards um, ceremony at 7 p.m. on Thursday, June 24th at the Virgin Hotel. It'll be just before the Big Texas Welcome event, which will be at 7.30. We'd love to see you there. Also, on Monday, June 28th at 2 p.m. Eastern, we'll be hosting a virtual panel with the American Lighting Association, focused on how designers and retailers can educate consumers on the importance of lighting in the home. So stay tuned to our website for more information on that. And finally, don't forget, you can email, you can always email us at lightingtheway at sgcmail.com with any questions or suggestions. And with that, here is my interview with Seth. Seth, thank you for joining me today. Um, as we get started, um, I just want to ask if you could kind of um, give kind of an overview of your career, the projects you work on, um, what you're known for, and what kind of drew you to lighting to begin with. Sure, sure. Well, um, my name is uh, Seth Bernstein, and you know my earliest, earliest uh, memories of being interested in lighting were, you know, as far back as like elementary school theater, like being forced to be on stage and memorize lines, but really only caring about, you know, getting off stage in order to like execute a lighting cue. Those are sort of my earliest memories. Um, and, you know, that sort of started a track through theater briefly, um, didn't really connect with uh, some of the constraints of theater. So, from there, kind of moved on to uh, what's called like event lighting. So when I moved to New York City, that was Fashion Week. Uh, it was, you know, private parties. And, you know, that was a real eye-opener to me. It was just like all the ways that people transform spaces and the way that lighting can be really a part of production design uh, for, you know, camera, for in-person, for advertisements. And, you know, from there, uh, that was a crazy time in New York and met a lot of people who uh, introduced me to directors of photography, uh, which then led to what I'm most known for, which is being the film unit light designer for Saturday Night Live. Uh, so that's doing the, um, the pre-tapes. So people know them as digital shorts, but essentially the pieces that are pre-recorded are a little more cinematic, the music videos, the fake commercials. Um, you know, that sort of uh, content that's super popular gets shared on YouTube. So, you know, 
uh, working on that show for four seasons, as well as, you know, continuing to develop my uh, career in event lighting. Um, and eventually uh, that led to installations for, you know, really, really important brands like Nike, Louis Vuitton, um, and that uh, has led more recently to doing more crossover architectural installations, be it like a showpiece uh, for the Instagram offices in New York and San Francisco or uh, other upcoming projects, uh, which I'm looking forward to revealing soon that have, you know, happened during the pandemic when entertainment has, you know, changed uh, shape and scale based on uh, in-person constraints. So that's mm -hmm. just a little bit of an overview and, you know, I would love to just, you know, share some insights of what we've learned along the way and, you know, answer your questions. Yeah. So now when you were getting started, did you have like formal training? Did you learn on the job? Like how did you kind of um, learn how to do what it is that you do? <laughs> well, uh, that's like a very interesting tidbit about me is that I'm, I'm at, I was actually a uh, linguistic anthropology and psychology major at Brandeis. So, you know, my formal training was really internships prior to college, working on, you know, indie theater productions in Boston. Um, and then, you know, coming out of college, it was sort of the Wild West in terms of, you know, entertainment and event lighting. Like, there are a lot of people who went to school for theater, and I worked a lot find them, but, you know, there were so many constraints that people felt tied to from going to, like, an art school observatory and, you know, just being open to experimentation, uh, you know, allowed me to sort of create this new path uh, through like unconventional events and, uh, you know, really kind of avant-garde television. You know, everyone does pre-tape comedy now, but really it was, you know, Saturday Night Live and digital shorts that, you know, made that, um, you know, a really popular medium. So, you know, no formal training, I leaned on a lot of people who had formal training and, you know, a huge part of work for me is the collaboration. So, you know, along the way, I learned from a lot of people I collaborated on, but, you know, the training was all uh, on the job and, you know, making the path as you walk it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so looking over your, your resume, uh, you have a lot of really interesting cool projects on here from concerts, events, um, the Puppy Bowl, which is one of my personal favorite uh, events. Oh, um, yes. yes. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on? Well, I mean, I love the Puppy Bowl. That is, um, for, for anyone who doesn't watch it, for the seven people who don't watch it, <laughs> definitely watch it next year or or pick it up on, you know, uh, Discovery Plus or wherever it's available. But essentially, it's uh, it's a companion programming for the Super Bowl. So it airs uh, for about three hours. Um, people don't watch the whole Puppy Bowl. It's meant to, you know, flip back and forth from the Super Bowl. But it's, you know, a theme-designed miniature stadium uh, where puppies play football with toys. And the whole concept is uh, that it promotes pet adoption. So all the pups are rescue pups. And they have these great behind the scenes stories of how they got to the puppy bowl. Um, and, you know, that was a project I took on three years ago. Uh, I'm sorry, four years ago. And it, 
it was a project that had essentially looked the same for the first 14 years of its existence. Uh, They're very superstitious about the look of it. It was a little bit, you know, boxy and, you know, NFL stadiums had evolved so much, but the puppy bowl hadn't. And, you know, they were really nervous to change anything about it because maybe if we made it too slick, you know, they would lose the kitsch of it and the audience wouldn't connect with it. So it was like very high pressure in terms of the redesign. Um, but it was a collaboration with a uh, set designer and the camera teams, you know, trying to figure out how we could bring the look of a contemporary NFL stadium uh, to air without, you know, alienating the viewers who just want to see <laughs> cute puppies. So, uh, you know, it's uh, what I what I would say about those sorts of projects and really every project, you know, if you, if you think like the Puppy Bowl is really the same as a Louis Vuitton installation is the same as an SNL sketch is it's all creating a little mini world. So, you know, you're creating something that sells a story, which is, you know, puppies playing football. So it has to be at scale. Everything has to, you know, have a, a purpose, but also be recognizable as relating to uh, a stadium that, you know, is used for football. So it's really, you know, how to be clever and then, not too clever, so you distract from the content, but really, you know, sell a world. And, mm-hmm. and that's really what you from, you know, like I said, from Louis Vuitton to SNL, you know, it's, it's, how, it's how one can, you know, in a week do an SNL sketch Thursday, Friday, you know, then on Saturday, change gears and do a museum installation. It's really just all world building and, you know, finding the logic and the through line of a, of a world that you're building. Mm-hmm. And for the record, I would just like to say that I do watch the entire puppy. <laughs> what? Wow. That, <laughs> I do football plays and do puppies. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> um, okay, so kind of in the same vein of that. So, are there any um, sort of elements or techniques or design principles that you use that you kind that can be applied? kind of across the board in lighting design, um, something that you do on television that can work in like a commercial office building or vice versa, some things like that? I, I, I mean, I, I, I think so. And I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, some of my favorite projects are, are crossover projects. You know, why I love collaborating with architects and interior designers uh, on various elements. But, but I think, you know, my main rule is like first do no distraction. <laughs> like my my main design rule is like do not do anything that is distracting. And you know a lot of it is is just in in the you know in the design of an element. You know thinking in in layers. And you know that's that's a great thing to to, to take from uh, from television and from set design is you know the idea of like foreground and background. So, you know, thinking, thinking, thinking in layers. So like, what is, you know, what is something that you want to be in the foreground that uh, is going to draw attention, but not be distracting? You know, what's the primary objective? So, you know, in Puppy Bowl, it's, you don't want to distract from the cutest of puppies playing football. You know, when I approach a, a design for Instagram, you know, 
I'm cognizant of the of the greater context that you know I'm a, I'm a guest in an office building, and so you know when I'm designing something in a lobby, I want it to be interesting but but not distracting. So for me, that's like a foreground, you know, the foreground purpose. And then you know when you think about a background uh, in in Puppy Bowl, it's the elements that you don't notice but you notice all the time. So this year because of the pandemic, we actually shot in an empty hockey arena in upstate New York um, because everybody had to spread out so far. Normally a shot in a studio in the city, but we all we all quarantined in Glen, Glen Falls, New York in a stadium. And so, you know, the background was the way the empty stadium looked. So you want to know there's an empty stadium, but you don't want it to be distracting. And so, you know, for me, that's, that I think is, is an element that pervades the work and I think it's the reason that I'm asked to collaborate so much is that, you know, I'm because I know that we're as light designers, we're all part of uh, you know, a bigger picture that, you know, we really understand the primary purpose of a space or, you know, a set or a piece that we're creating in a, in a broader context. Uh, and, and I think that 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 concept of foreground and background, I think, is is really useful um, to take across contexts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you mentioned at the beginning, um, kind of having to shift your practice now that the entertainment industry is uh, challenged right now during uh, the pandemic. So how have you kind of adapted your presence, your practice? Excuse me. It sounds like you've been able to kind of do some things. Um, but what have you done to kind of make up for some of the in-person things that you're not able to do right now? That's that's a great question, and you know, I just I just want to you know say that like um, I'm sure a lot of people on the podcast or listening to the podcast, you know, either work in entertainment or friends in entertainment, but people who work in entertainment to a large they're just like have their world turned upside down, you know. Mm-hmm. I I have done arena shows. Um, I did the Anderson Pack arena tour last summer that you know went through major venues, all of which are closed. You know, Madison Square Garden closed, the Forum in LA closed, Red Rocks um, closed. You know, and, and so many people who I really you know over the years have just watched them just like sweat for you know the purpose of getting the show up and running, and, and those people are not working. And I just want to, you know, feel, as I talk about how I've adapted my practice, just, you know, say that my heart really goes out to those, those people um, and, you know, try as much as possible to involve as many people in the projects that happen as possible. So, you know, that's, that's something that I'm very cognizant of. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that sort of accidentally were great training for the way that um, projects are produced right now. So, you know, for example, New York City and LA are, you know, very strong union cities. And so there's a very strong delineation between, you know, as a designer and a member of um, the, you know, Association of Broadcast Technicians. Like I'm a member of one union, the stagehands are a member of a different union, and like there are very strict rules that I'm like not to touch anything. <laughs> so, you know, even though, you know, I'm in charge of all the lights, I'm not to touch any, I'm not to touch anything. So, 
you know, having that boundary set, whereas I could just show someone how to do something, I haven't been able to do that for years. So it was great training when it came to, uh, you know, work over Zoom and and work remotely. So I'm really grateful to all the people who <laughs> hadn't let me touch anything <laughs> for the past three years because it was uh, it was very useful. And also, you know, there's, you know, as designers, there's a very uh, formal set of communication that we have to do for, you know, permit planning, for, um, you know, client submission, for if, if people are interior designers, for construction design, if they're light designers, you know, to communicate to electricians. So there's like a very formal, you know, communication that takes place on paper, but it doesn't always capture the intent of the design. And so over the years, having to work at such distance and also, you know, having to work across coasts, you know, developing a system of clearly communicating design intent to everyone, um, you know, and it could be really simplistic, but just developing my own way of communicating intent, you know, in case someone has to modify, there's always something inevitably, you know, the stray, um, you know, fire suppression pipe, uh, the support beam that everyone thought was not load bearing, like the stories go on and on and on. But, you know, the, the things that we would all love to troubleshoot on site and like all be in a room and talk about now have to be done over FaceTime and over Slack. And so, you know, developing a way to help everybody problem solve, uh, I think has been a huge, a huge adaptation um, that we were accidentally preparing for over time, but now that's been really critical. And I, I think that this was a good time for everyone to just find a way to, you know, communicate without being in person, without being able to point at something, without being able to like shine a laser pointer at something. And, um, you know, that, that's been a huge, a huge adaptation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that we're all kind of learning throughout all of this, no matter what industry you're in, is communication. Our, our communication skills are being put to the test right now, and there are so many different ways we can do things that I think the technology, too, has been really helpful. Um, yes, yes. So, um, as I mentioned, um, our audience is primarily residential, commercial, lighting designers, um, but you know, if someone is interested in kind of branching out in their lighting design, you know, maybe if they're a residential designer, they want to branch out into commercial or, you know, the, the entertainment industry is calling to them. Um, how would you recommend they get started in kind of shifting their practice? I mean, I think the best way uh, to shift a practice is counterintuitive, but it's to hire somebody else. You know, I get a ton of projects because I bring someone in on my own projects. You know, that's one of the great things about the entertainment industry that I just love so much is that, you know, you hire someone on a project, on a project and you're the boss, you're calling the shots. And then, you know, three weeks later, you're on their turf, you're following their direction, you know, you're collaborating. And it's not like somebody has to like bend their ego uh, you know, it's, it just, it just happens. It all happens seamlessly. I, you know, I just, I think my favorite story 
is um, I was I was a guest at the Latin Grammy Awards last year, helping with a single act. You know, I was only helping with a single act with a music performance, and it just so happened that the lead designer. Uh, who was responsible for that show was working for me at the Consumer Electronics Show the next week. And so, you know, I came in and it was his set. You know, there were a bajillion other acts. I had my two hours um, and he let me overstay my time by like five minutes. And then at five minutes, um, you know, he starts yelling, are you done yet? <laughs> like, we got to move the heck on. And, and, and I, you know, I stopped and I was like, oh, you know, next week, uh, he's going to do whatever I say, but right now I'm at his house. Uh, sorry, Ronnie, you know, I'm, I'm done now. We're just going to record and back it up. I'm out of here. Sorry, man. You know, and, and that's like, that's one of the best, um, you know, one of the best ways to get work is, is to give work. And I think that's something that the entertainment industry could share. And a way to get into the entertainment industry is that, you know, people uh, in entertainment, you know, aren't working right now and uh, won't be working for probably, you know, it's going to be, it's going to take a while to ramp back up. So probably the best way is to, you know, get on Instagram, find somebody, you know, you, you're interested in and just start a dialogue and see if there's something you can work together on. You know, right now I'm working on a, uh, I'm working on a pretty large scale public install and, uh, there's a need for uh, lighting pad. We call them gobos. So basically, you know, created like fabricated shadow pattern. And, you know, they go into lights kind of like, you know, a slide would go into a slide projector. And there's a huge library of stock shadow patterns. And, you know, they're just not cutting it for the project. And so, you know, my brainstorm was like, I'm positive there's, a million illustrators in New York City who could uh, who could help right now. And the concept of a lighting designer hiring illustrator, that's not, you know, the first thing that comes to mind. Illustrators and lighting designers, you know, don't hang out at the same bars. They don't go to the same uh, industry conferences. So, you know, I just took an hour, went on Instagram and checked out illustrators. And the four that I really liked weren't available. Everyone gave me a recommendation. And, you know, I found an illustrator who is really interesting to the entire team. And, you know, now we've pulled an illustrator in. Uh, and, I, you know, I guarantee that if she ever comes upon a project, you know, that's entertainment based and they're, you know, looking for a light designer, that she's going to say, oh, you know, I worked with this guy, Seth, give him a call. And I might not be available, but then I can give the work to someone else who might give it back to me. So, you know, not in the immediate financial best interest, the give work to get work kind of goes around, comes around concept is a great way to get into entertainment and a, a great way to be a part of the community. And I think given, you know, the sort of like random nature of industry peaks and valleys and bubbles and pops, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's great to diversify. And I would say if that's one thing that I've accidentally come to love is, you know, never saying no. You know, it's not like I set out to be a sketch comedy light designer. 
uh, sketch comedy called, and it sounded interesting, and so you know gave it a shot, and and you know then kept going when uh, you know architectural installations. Some some entertainment designers, you know, might have been turned off by the long time frame, you know, the myriad of levels of approvals and codes to like be a good citizen on. But you know, it's the it's the never saying no. It's the when you see an opening, try to bring someone else in. You know, don't don't try to do everything by oneself. I think I think that that's the best way to you know sort of navigate around a shifting world and like honestly our, our own shifting interests you know i i can't say for certain even if arena tours were all happening right now i can't say for certain i would want to be doing arena tours right now so you know being open to collaboration and hiring other people is kind of insurance against shifting uh you know economic trends but also our own shifting interests uh and you know not being um, you know, stuck on a single track that you want to get off later. So I, I think that that would be mm-hmm. my advice yeah. uh, to people who want to yeah, That's great advice. Um, so finally, what's next for you? Are there any, um, is there anything that you can talk about that you're working on now or that you'll be working on in the future? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited uh in in you know in the television world there's a lot of really interesting new voices um that uh are uh coming online uh in the like NBC sphere so i'm really excited for uh two new um comedian writer actors uh Amber Ruffin and Jeff Wright who are sort of in the late night with Seth Meyers um camp at NBC so they're you know they're developing some comedy that I think is just uh, so new and hilarious. And I just, you know, it, it's interesting watching people like Forum Persona. You know, it's the like designer equivalent of, you know, developing a personal style. And I, you know, as a collaborator, I love helping uh, people like that. So it's, it's a new, you know, it's, it's a new, uh, you know, a new, strain of comedy that I think is going to be really big this, this coming year, uh, you know, with the need for, for new perspectives. Uh, and then, you know, there's a, there's a really interesting, um, a really, really interesting trend that I did not see coming. Uh, you know, I thought the last thing that would ever come back after the pandemic would be, What's what are called like experiential installations, so like hybrid temporary installations. Um, you know, an example of which is um, if anyone has gone to any of the um, color factory installations. So there's there was one in San Francisco which I did not do, um, one in New York that I was tangentially involved with, and there's one in Houston right now that I fully did, and it's you know essentially like a room-based installation that you make an appointment for. Uh, you know, you walk through unguided, but there are people around to assist you. And it's like made for uh, Instagram. But it's also, you know, just fun for people to bring their kids to or, you know, people visiting. So, you know, we just opened Color Factory Houston, like right before the pandemic. And, you know, I just felt for them having, you know, put everything on the line. 
But because it's like small group, timed admission, you know, they made some very clever adaptations to the HVAC system. They, you know, did lots of safety protocols with masks, which of course match all the decor because why not? And also it's gorgeous. I love their masks. I own four. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm really interested in, in the resurgence of like time ticketing. And so, you know, I'm working on um, two of those installations in New York. One is outdoors, you know, another thing that, um, you know, we sort of took for granted before is like the importance of, you know, themed outdoor space. So, you know, that's been great because I'm able to collaborate with a lot of theme park people, you know, a, a sort of design mindset I, I didn't know much about. So, you know, the, there's a themed environment uh, resurgence right now that I'm really excited about, both in terms of like indoor time ticketing um, and, you know, also learning how to help everybody uh, navigate distancing in a space. So how can lighting help with that? How can you know, directional signage help with that. So, you know, there's a lot of really interesting, um, a lot of, a lot of really interesting development that honestly, I think even after, you know, we're fully vaccinated, it's going to change the way people interact with each other, interact with spaces. And so, you know, I'm really, you know, my first rule is like, first, do no distraction. Like, how can I sort of think about the way that people are going to interact with spaces now and then what about that is going to continue into the future uh, with whatever sort of mass cultural change happens as a result of you know what we've all experienced this past year going on two years uh, and so that that I think is really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Well that's great um, yeah I think life as we know it is about to change is pretty much I think there's a lot of things that have changed I think that are going to be sticking around for the long run even when this is all over. So um, the fact that you're kind of adapting to that is really cool. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. This was fascinating. Um, I think you bring a really unique perspective for our audience. And um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I, I really admire the work of interior designers and, you know, light designers for, um, you know, residential, like the people who work in that, in, in that field, I, I also, you know, really admire. Uh, and so, you know, it's great to be able to talk to, uh, you know, people whose work I admire and, you know, it's a giant collaborative world. So who knows when I'll cross paths with, with any of you, either by design or by accident.